Hi, this is Danny Hernandez, member and pastor at Echo Church in Chino, California. Welcome to today's episode of the Shepherd LA podcast. Shepherd LA exists to inspire and connect like-minded church leaders for greater church health in Los Angeles and wherever you may be listening. Learn more at shepherdla.org. As always, I am joined by PJ Tobian, member and pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in Bellflower, California, here in Southeast Los Angeles. Welcome back to the Shepherd LA podcast. PJ, today we are recapping the next three sessions of the Shepherd LA conference. There's a lot to get to, so we're going to jump right in to your talk. You gave a talk about gospel doctrine. That's right. Now, when people think about doctrine, people's minds can run to all sorts of theological ideas and concepts. But what's interesting with your talk is you start with defining and emphasizing the gospel. And what I mean by the gospel is the gospel proper. Who is Christ and what has he done for us? You start there. Yeah, I actually start with Jesus first and then work my way back. Yeah, why start there? I mean, there's so many doctrines. So when people think sound doctrine, you could be talking about all sorts of things. But you just go to the basics, right? The the basic gospel message. Why there? Well, all doctrine points to Jesus and flows from Jesus. It says in Colossians 2.3 that all the mysteries of knowledge and wisdom are hidden in Christ. So start with Jesus. He is the revelation of God. He's the one who revealed God. So all biblical, biblically true, theologically sound doctrine is consistent with and pointing to and flowing from Jesus Christ. So starting with Jesus and then just backing into a full a fuller understanding of the gospel message and how someone receives Christ and then two other doctrines. So start with Jesus, point to Jesus, end with Jesus. Um, and all the other doctrines kind of find the framework in Jesus. And that part is essential because not only do all doctrines flow from that, but that is the essential doctrine we need to sort of protect, right? That's the thing of first importance is another thing right. that you sort of highlighted. Yeah, and then and then the goal of doctrine. Doctrine is for sound doctrine is for soundness of health. And so Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, we proclaim Christ, we proclaim him, teaching and warning everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity comes through hearing Christ, seeing the glory of Christ, and being changed into his image by seeing and understanding who he is and all other realities, how they relate to Jesus. One of the things you talked about with the gospel, you, you quoted Jerry Bridges. You said, our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Yep. And you elaborated how a solid understanding of the gospel helps church members from either pride and despair. Why is that so important in the life of a church, in the life of a Christian? Yeah, well, it is because... Our sins are tied to pride and self-centeredness. And when we're being self-centered, we're either going to be thinking too highly of ourselves and being really confident and proud of ourselves. So that'd be the pride part. So we're like, I don't need God's grace. I don't need Christ's grace. I'm good. Or we're thinking about God's standard and still being self-centered, not not focusing on Christ and drawing from Christ. We're thinking, I'm so terrible. Poor me. There's no way that God could ever accept me. I'm I'm done. I have no recourse. And so you end up in despair. But either both of those are both self-centeredness as opposed to Christ-centeredness. Christ is pushed out of the middle and you either exalt yourself or you debase yourself. But either way, Jesus is not central. You're central. Yeah. And that's everyone struggles with selfishness. I mean, that right. is the core of sin is self-centeredness. You know, and Jerry Bridges, and this is from the book Disciplines of Grace. After this, he goes into the part of, well, that's why it's so important to preach the gospel to yourself every day, yeah, to remember day. this core message over and over and over, where it does become a priority as a Christian of believing this day in, day out. It's like breathing, right? Right. And doctrine is important because doctrine, all it means is teaching. Every church teaches something. Actually, everyone teaches something. Every organization, every group of people who gather together have something they believe, something they teach as true. So it's just very important that Christ is the most important truth and the the person and work of Christ as the, the organizing principle of how we understand all truth. Now with that, I think that's a good segue to the next idea that you gave us. So you went from gospel proper to systematic theology, and you define that as understanding the reality of God, one, but also understanding how all other realities that we know about relate to God. I appreciated you talking about Mars Hill, Acts 17, and how Paul is looking at everything around him and drawing from those realities to point to God. Practically speaking, why is it so important for the church to remember that and to have these categories and to know that everything around us has some connection to who God is? 
Yeah, well, again, because Christ is revealing God, that there's the framework, the systematic theology is the framework for your worldview, for how you see everything and how you make sense of every other detail. So if you don't have that systematic theological framework, then you might have a true statement like Jesus is man, and then you say, well, if he's a man, all men err, all men are sinners, so therefore Jesus is a sinner. Well, you have a true statement that Jesus is a man, but in the wrong framework that can be used in the wrong way. I mean, that's how we are led astray, believing some biblical truths with a bad framework, bad presuppositions. Systematic theology is actually saying, wait, what are my presuppositions? Are they biblical? What do I think about who God is, what he's done, and how everything relates to God, whether it's humanity, sin, angels, demons, the end times, the church, who we are as image bearers. Yeah, all, all of that stuff has to be framed by what God has revealed to us in Christ. And that framework is systematic theology. Yeah. And it, it's, it's all relating to, it's all rightly relating, correctly relating to who God is. And on a very practical level, you talked about this in regards to your membership interviews. You, if someone's thinking about becoming a member at Bethany, they have to go through a membership interview. And part of that is you asking them about the gospel. Right. Um, and you gave an example where oftentimes you find that people have to think more thoroughly about certain categories that they have in their head. Sure. So even as they're sharing the gospel, sometimes we, we don't realize how many holes we sort of have to flush out where it's, we're quick to say the gospel, but you know, like, Oh yeah, we're sinners. Well, why is that? Why is that a problem? Right. Why does that matter? Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that's also like, just on a practical level, a very important thing to sort of always keep in mind. Yeah. Because it's not just understanding true statements. It's understanding how they relate to each other. Yeah. So there, there's the logic of the gospel. So Jesus Christ came, God, the son came to earth, died for sinners and rose from the dead. That's the good news. But why is that good news? Like, right. why why did he have to die? Mm. Well, for sin. Well, who's a sinner? And why is sin such a big deal? Well, the penalty of sin is death. But why is it, why is the penalty of sin death? Because God is holy and righteous. Yeah. And well, why are we accountable to God? I don't believe in that God. Well, whether you believe in him or not, he's your creator. Yeah. And so, well, okay, so Jesus died and rose. So that, that means I'm saved? No, not necessarily. Those who receive Jesus by repenting from their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord, Savior, and treasure, that's how you receive Christ. So so even there, you're understanding how these truths, who God is, who we are as image bearers who are also sinners, who Christ is and what he's done and how we receive Christ, how all that fits together logically. When when Christians understand the logic of that basic Christian message, yeah. they're more equipped to share the gospel, with to preach the gospel to themselves, to preach the gospel or gospelize other church members and to gospelize non-Christians. And they don't have to just have a canned message start with, starting with God and then going to man, Christ, and faith. They can start on any of those four points and work logically through them all in presenting the gospel yeah. so that it makes sense to people so that they can trust in Christ. And we need to be ready for that. I mean, one of the things that I was humbled by along these lines was just how many things and presuppositions we take for granted as just givens when they're not always the case. Uh, in yeah. particular, I remember being at uh, USC with you and we were at, when we were back across you together sharing the gospel to non-christian chinese international students yeah. who had absolutely no categories Zero. for what we're talking about so even a word like sin i'd be like what is what is that they're like you know and us having to get to like the nitty-gritty basic logic fundamental understanding of the gospel which again we take for granted but in those moments where we're sharing the gospel with others we just can't assume that everyone's gonna have those same categories that we do right and do you, so that was important do you remember the story when we asked one of the international students at a bible study to tell us how they thought the world came to be yeah yeah do you remember when they were talking about a god who like flooded the world and then there was another god who or another god or that like, god or like, a, flood, a flood came in and that that god actually plugged up the, plugged hole the hole yeah and sacrifice by, by sacrificing themselves right right so that the world would not be flooded yeah and that was the origin story of the world and we we're just like wow i mean wow i mean the flood is one thing that's <laughs> yeah. biblical but then god sacrificing himself so that the world could be saved and i remember her feeling like that's just a beautiful picture and we're like Oh man, just wait to, yeah. wait to hear the gospel. Wait to hear the true story of who <laughs> yeah. God really is. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, so just hearing somebody's story, you could take it from where they're at if you understand the logic of the gospel, mm -hmm. and then you could go from that to explaining the gospel. Yeah. You you did elaborate on how systematic theology is important in our unity and ethics, particularly in the context of a local church, and you tie that to our statement of faith. 
into a statement of faith and really yeah. thinking about your statement of faith why why is that important in this moment in our cultural movement why that's key to have a confession of faith or how that ties to ethics both well it's important because the church has to agree on their framework so every church has a an agreed upon set of doctrines whether it's in writing or not of what they believe in what is out of bounds and what is not christian so our church has a confession of faith and it, it starts with god and the bible and humanity and sin and it goes through through the basic core doctrines so that people do have a framework this is what we believe and we want every member to know this is what we teach and for them so we even we don't even call it a statement of faith we call it a confession of faith at our church mm -hmm. it's a small thing but we're actually saying it's not just saying we believe this we're confessing it to the world we are mm -hmm. proclaiming it we are saying we are, we're identifying ourselves with it from that flows ethics because if that's who God is, and if these are the things that are true, do we live in line with them in righteousness, or do we rebel and buck against these realities yeah. in sinfulness and evil? So the realities that we're presenting form what we, so if we're talking about marriage, what is marriage? You know, what is gender. life? Yeah, gender. What is gender and sexuality? What's sexual immorality? If we're talking about um, racism or, yeah. e you know, ethnic tensions, there's going to be your, your systematic, systematic theology. If you're thinking about the poor and how to care about the poor, why should you or should you not care about them? Is it their fault? Is it the system's fault? These things are coming from a framework of understanding, so it's important to have a good confession of faith. One, one particular one in our day and age is the whole social justice controversy right. where a lot of Christians just don't have a good confessional statement on, on how to engage in societal issues. Mm -hmm. And... The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 has a statement on the Christian and social order, which was, again, written in 2000 before all of these recent debates of the last seven years mm -hmm. in evangelicalism and reformed ev evangelicalism. Yeah, so it's just been Christians, members of our church, they need to know these things, know the basic direction of our lives. And I want to get to, to the unity part here, but I think it's good to, you know, words matter, and, and I think there's a reason why maybe you're calling it a confession versus a statement. And I think our church is still calling it a statement. I think most churches do. Yeah. But, Capitol but, Hill does. But does that mean, say you have someone who wants to join Bethany, but they might be a little iffy on something on the statement of faith. Would you tell? Would you say, hey, like if you're, you're accepting this as a confession, it sounds like it's a little bit more there in terms of even how you're framing it more, as. More or than just God, it. man, Christ, faith. Yeah, so. it, it sounds like... There's a sort of a, not only an agreement to it, but like, hey, I'm 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 gonna go teach this to others, like you're saying, proclaiming yep. this to the world. So, is there more of an intention there? Like, if someone again came to your church, wanted to be a member, but they didn't align with everything in that statement of yeah. faith or confession of faith for you, how would you how would you do? What would you do there? So, so yeah. So the first thing is this is why it's it's very important that um, that you're a member of a church, or at least you're you're actually just like baptism. You're putting yourself on the line. Because if anyone finds out that you're a member of a local church and they look at what that church believes, they can hold – the world can say, you believe this too, you know? Yeah. So we are confessing it. Now, to your point, if someone wants to join Bethany Baptist Church but doesn't hold to the confession – in our in our constitution, our bylaws, we have a statement that says you cannot hold a settled disagreement with anything here. Got it. Okay. That's different than saying you agree with all of it and you're – you know, and that you could defend these things and you could, you know, you could write an essay on each of these doctrines. We want a new Christian who just gets converted to be able to join the church. And they're not going to even understand in many ways, maybe the Trinity or something like that. Sure. And yet we're saying, hey, this is our confession. If you have a settled disagreement against this, like you're sure Jesus is not God, or you're sure that's a gospel issue, that would be heresy to deny the deity of Christ, or something that's not a heresy issue, like you're sure that um, babies should be baptized and you think that that is true baptism. If that's a settled conviction for you then you can't join our church because we're a baptist yeah. church and that's okay you still love jesus we're just going to rec recommend that you go to rudy rubio's church uh, reformed church la in linwood or um or or just uh, mike larson's church maybe even though they're not pedo baptist they would accept the pedo baptist but this actually did happen right it wasn't at the start of the process but one of your members along that journey and in, in, in being at your member of your church decided that he was a pedo baptist yeah yeah. And so, what happened? What happened with that? When he and it wasn't just a, it became a I don't conviction. know. He wrestled with that for a while, but it became a settled conviction. Yeah. What happened there? What's well, a settled conviction? I encouraged him to to join another church. I mean, he was going to have to leave our church. Yeah. You, you, he could not stay at our church in, in love. We love him. Mm -hmm. He loves us. And uh, yeah, but it was like, okay, if that's your conviction, then brother, you have children. You need to have a clear conscience in yeah. baptizing your children. 
and we're not going to baptize him here because we don't think that's ba baptism. We don't yeah. think that's obeying God's command to baptize. Now, we think you're a Christian. We love that. We love the same gospel and churches that do the same, but we we don't think that would be obeying Christ. And he thought we weren't obeying Christ, which is fine. Yeah. So go find a church where you can obey God with a clear conscience as you're discipling your children and your wife. And I thought you bringing it home with the unity piece, you emphasize that these are the things that we're sort of agreeing to be united around. But then that also allows there to be disagreement on other things yeah. that are not these things. That's right. And if you start to divide over things that are not in the agreement, then that's not okay. Yeah, then you're being sinfully divisive. So, so, so you know, so people can see like, hey, you guys being strict on the, like the statement, like that seems baptism, too rigid. Yeah. But actually you're saying it actually defines the lines and it does allow for flexibility a to lot disagree flexibility. on other things, right? Yeah, pastor, our pa we have four pastors. We disagree on some things. We have members. We have 140, uh, 145 members now. Yeah, and we don't agree on everything, but we agree to disagree on everything that's not on the confession of faith. It's okay. Some people think that spiritual gifts are still continuing today. Some people don't, and that's okay in our church, as long as you don't say our church has to go one way or the other, because we've agreed to not make that a point of unity in our church. Yeah, that, that's, that was really helpful to kind of think through and why that's important. And even nowadays, where there could be so much disagreement within the church about a number of issues. Oh, yeah, just 2020 and 2021, right? Yeah. COVID, elections, Mask, race. You know, yeah. Mask, so, yeah. All those things are just not in our confession of faith. So we just kept saying to the church family, like, listen, it's not our confession of faith. You can you can be pro or against mask, vaccines, uh, vote who you're voting for, whichever party, or your, your thought on the election. Race has a little bit more ethical entailment to it so i'm preaching that with a little bit more pointedness but even then it's not our confession of faith or how so, do you how do you even go about that or what's the issue yeah, behind that right yeah. there disagreement there but it kept unity in the midst of a lot of disagreement that was going on in churches around us absolutely now the last thing you go into is is uh, biblical theology uh, i know for me when i first understood as a christian how the bible was a big narrative that pointed to jesus that was mind-blowing it really changed my perspective on how i read the bible and when did that happen for you man that was probably 2000 and where that where was that, that at crossview no that was before crossview okay what yeah that what, was, no, actually that was early 2009 actually what what was it was it a book was it a i went to a i got invited to campus crusade event where at usc okay by one of the friends that i had in my actual fellowship that i was consistently going to which was that was, it was the crusade the double acf oh, yeah okay. and so they're like hey want to come to this campus crusade one i was like sure i'll check it out and this dude just went through genesis to revelation like on the board of just and he's like here's the meta narrative of the bible and i'm like oh my gosh Do you remember who that was i don't remember who that was double acf is asian american christian fellowship for those don't who remember, don't know i don't remember who that was but then i remember being so excited about it and then taking it to my youth group and doing the same thing and then their minds being blown, <laughs> like, because I think there was just something about like, oh, you think like this is just not a bunch of ethical commands. It's actually a story, and it all points to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. So I think that really was critical. Yeah. But more than that, I think it was realizing like that's not just a story out there. Right. That's a reality. Like we are living within that story. Yeah. That's a reality of our lives, and my life isn't about my own story. It's about my place in God's redemptive plan. Right. Why, why is that important for Christians to understand? Yeah, well, everyone is living out a story. And actually, the story that we think we're living out, that, that big story is the thing that moves our hearts more than even doctrinal points of confession. So if we don't know where we came from, where this world came from, what we were made for, what the biggest problem in the world is, and um, how Christ is solved and how Christ is using us even now, to be about that solution until you know gathering in the bride until he returns then you're living a different story and that's going to get at the deepest recesses and chambers of your heart and guide your life in awkward and disobedient or or um, irregular ways from what god is calling you to be so knowing the story when it energizes your faith like you just shared that story how it energized your faith yeah. it energizes your faith it helps you see and understand who you are it gives you direction to where you're going and it helps you to see another going back to the very beginning it helps you to see how christ is central to everything yeah now to close off your section you know here you are you're talking about doctrine you're talking about systematic theology you're talking about biblical theology it could be really easy to just have this be a theological kind of knowledge type exercise right we could all just sit in your head and so one how as a pastor 
how can you cultivate a culture where doing some of these things isn't just a theological, you know, knowledge-based exercise, but how do you get it to start moving the church in a direction to really enjoy the Lord and, and to see the importance of these things? Oh, man. Well, I mean, it just becomes part of your, your it's like, it's Deuteronomy 6, where it says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Talk about this when you, with your children, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you, you know, when you're on, walking along the way, when you're eating, just be talking about God and the story. So it starts in our church. I mean, and I think Jonathan Lehman's book, The Word Center Church, would be the book to read. It used to be called Reverberation, mm-hmm. but it's that idea that from expository preaching that has a biblical theological and systematic theological framework and consciousness as you're preaching practical ethics yeah. from every text doing that regularly having people talk about it sing about it confess sin over how they're not living in line with it uh, celebrate the goodness of believing it celebrating repentance and forgiveness and then doing that again and again and again and holding out grace yeah. again and again as people fight sin and fight to hold on to christ and that that's it's a way of life so in our church it's, it starts with the preaching but immediately after the preaching we have a five minute share your takeaways with people around you that yeah. just that shifts the culture of our church because people now learn that you we are going to talk about the bible we're going to talk about the sermon we're going to talk about our takeaways we're going to talk about practical stuff we're going to talk about theology we're going to talk about questions and it's not abnormal to talk about it in our church every member even the children are expected to listen knowing that they're expected to talk about these things. And when you talk about these things, you hear things. And when you hear truth and you hear Christ, faith comes by hearing, you start growing, and that leads to people confessing sins to each other. We do that on Sunday nights with sharing blessings and burdens. We have an email group that does that from the pulpit. I lead by example with my own confession of sins and and asking for prayer requests and, and for help. And so it just becomes a way of life as a church family. So it just sounds like finding opportunities to get folks to go from doctrine to doxology, right? How do they come out of this? Yeah. Knowing who God is and celebrating that and providing opportunities for them to do that. That's right. great. The next talk was Dever, and he talked about conversion and evangelism. For like 20 minutes. <laughs> or 25 minutes. We might talk about it longer than he did here. But he, he dropped a lot of just bombs and just walked away, it seemed like. He but did. from the moment he opened his mouth. He did a mouth, great job, by the way. He did, yeah. From the moment he starts, though, he just says, it's critical to hold these two things together. This idea of really understanding uh, conversion evangelism at, together. Can you elaborate on why that's important just from your understanding as a, as a pastor? Yeah. When you evangelize people, you are wanting them to hear the good news of Christ so that they would believe in Christ and then become Christians. So how do you know someone is a Christian? What What is the point when you're not a Christian, now you're a Christian? How do you become a Christian? And then how do you know that someone has become a Christian? If you don't have a good view of conversion, if someone says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, and you're like, great, you're a Christian. I mean, I just listened to an interview today and read a book review of one of the most the best-selling christian books and in that book it says like pray this prayer and then at the next paragraph says if you pray this prayer congratulations you're a christian you know in the book and this is a you know multi-million sales for for this book and it, it's like well how do you know they converted yeah just praying this prayer again I'm, i prayed I, I call the, the Bible does say Romans ten thirteen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I prayed and asked God to save me when I became a Christian. So I'm not against praying a prayer. It's just the way that we say, oh yeah, if you did this, therefore you're now Christian. Congratulations! You start congratulating people in print, like in a book where you don't even know who's on the other side of that. That flippant way of giving assurance and saying you're converted without clearly defining repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, what it means to really treasure Jesus and stop treasuring other things in comparison to Jesus, you're giving all kinds of false assurance everywhere. And then, so if you get that wrong, at the very end of your evangelism, you're not really helping them to know that they're saved. Yeah. And then and then that goes into the next mark, which we're going to get to the next conversation, membership. You start filling your, your church with people who are not converted. Man, that's going to clog up all kinds of things in your church family. The way you put pouring sand in your gas tank of your car will not make the engine run it'll junk it all up and, and you know it'll, it'll mess up the whole engine and the way things flow yeah. if you put dirty gas or dirty elements in your gas tank it's going to mess up the engine yeah. you need clean gas you need actually converted people in your church for you to do the one others yeah deborah talked about how specifically here in america how we do evangelism has really impacted our view of conversion and and he talks about how in some ways we've lost this idea of 
what justification is and what regeneration is. What is what does actual repentance look like? He talked about Ian Murray's revival and revivalism that has some of those similar concerns. But you're right. Like if people are really quick to assure someone's profession of faith, whether through spontaneous baptism and, yeah. and sinner's prayer, that could become really dangerous. And especially here in America, where much of your quote unquote spiritual journey or your faith becomes like a privatized affair. Right. I think that gets even more complicated because you're not even really challenged to think about that reality. Yeah, I mean, who wants to be the party pooper and say like, <laughs> why are you doing so many baptisms? You know, why are you so happy about so many people converting? I mean, nobody wants to be that. And we're not trying to just, I'm not trying to just, you know, um, be a, a Debbie Downer and pour water on people's excitement. But if you're, when you're doing spontaneous baptisms, you're affirming their faith and you're le- you're letting them into your church well you either do one or two things you either let them into the church and again if they're not really converted they're going to mess up it's just going to mess up the whole one another's and the culture of the church in, in in the wrong direction as you're affirming them if you don't affirm if you don't let them in because some people do baptisms mm-hmm. without joining the church now you have all these people who are baptized running around saying they're christian they've been baptized and they're not even part of a church yeah. so um so either way it does it doesn't do good for the person uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to just keep smashing on this because Acts 8 does have a spontaneous baptism. You know, everyone wants to bring up that story. Yeah. Um, and I, I say, you know, isn't that instructive for today? Sure it is. But, you know, I would say to anyone, like, if, if, if the Holy Spirit takes you up in a whirlwind and he just drops you in somewhere else and somebody's <laughs> reading the Bible yeah. and they're saying, what does that mean? And then you answer it. And then after you you share the gospel with them and clarify the gospel, then you baptize them and then the Holy Spirit just transports you somewhere else. Then I'll be like, all right, that's that's probably legitimate. You know? Well, it's not going to be the normative way. Right, be, but nobody's being transported here and there. And they yeah. want to take that yeah. spontaneous baptism part, but there's more to the story of what happened pretty miraculously. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you, you know, you're just pulling out that part without the other parts what were the unique circumstances there and is that is that normative for all for all time that that's that's a that's a problem and we need to think about that and i think the biggest concern here is is really when we're talking about what conversion is what we're looking for is is repentance yeah. and over and over and over in in the bible we see this idea of it's a turning from something turning turning to god and so it's not a he quoted jc ryle like it's not simply about picking up spiritual feelings right it's it's getting to that point of turning away from something repenting of something um and oftentimes i find uh even when hearing people's testimonies how often people can talk about coming to faith but not really pointing to a moment of repentance or something that they repented over right It, it very much gets captured in this idea of i had my own personal experience i had these feelings uh kind of this emotional thing that happened yeah and then here i am as a christian and oftentimes you know you ask a question and you get to hear their story and you you realize like nothing even changed after that right and it was maybe until way later where something changed yeah and and i think people get confused like when did regeneration happen right um and i think because of of personal experience like the personal feelings or that experience you can have that sometimes downplays the importance of god's sovereignty the role of the holy spirit in that process that actually creates change that results in repentance and turning away from something to god yeah i just i think that actually is very muddy where where i have found that for a lot of christians they're not even really clear in articulating that moment in their lives because it has been so muddied with this idea of how we confuse evangelism and repentance and conversion now yeah and yeah and, and because we again we don't want to i mean spiritual feelings are important obviously like yeah. you you need to love the lord i mean true faith in christ has in it a desire for him yeah that he's he's more valuable he's more worthy he's more lovely than sin right it's not just because i'm avoiding hell that doesn't really change somebody's heart you don't need right. heart change to not want to go to hell but to want jesus does have the it, it requires a new birth it requires the Holy Spirit, and that will change the affections even. And so, yeah, conversion is, is 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 that change that is not just the feelings of the moment that might go up and down, but it is knowing and feeling so deeply that it actually changes the direction of your life and what you most deeply value. And when sometimes it takes time for some for a lot of people, it takes time for that to be seen. For others, it could be immediate. They could hear the gospel and they're living in certain sins, and they're like, "I'm done." 
Yeah. I'm done with that sin. And I've, you know, I've talked to people who are just as soon as they were converted, they break off a relationship right away, and they're like, I'm following Jesus. Yeah. And that, that, that would be a clear marker almost immediately of some salvation, or of actual conversion. Now, let, let's get some... Let's get practical here to, to pastors that might be listening to this because we don't want to minimize just the pressures of what a pastor can go through. Sure. In terms of, you know, maybe there's someone new at your church. People are getting converted. You want to affirm their salvation. Yeah. You want to bring them into members, to membership of the church. Or there's a church across the way that is seeing all these conversions because maybe they are doing something right. uh, with spontaneous baptism or a certain method of evangelism. And you know, how do you fight those temptations how do you navigate the pressures of of pastoral ministry and at the same time trying to be faithful to making sure hey was this person shared the gospel well is this true repentance in this life versus hey let's 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 add them in let's let's figure it out later our church needs to grow yeah yeah Yeah, so i don't know if this is going to surprise you so so the two errors are rigorism on one side Vern poitras calls this rigorism and on the other side, it's just easy believism. We're just letting everyone in, right? Yeah. We're ta- we're, we got to be careful in, in fighting against easy believism and this easy decisions that, that don't require repentance or don't really have an understanding of repentance or don't preach repentance, that we don't go to the other side and become rigorous where, you know, I mean, I know some there, where you need to have all kinds of fruit and a certain level of maturity right. in Christ before you could even be affirmed as a Christian yeah. or have some level of systematic theological knowledge Correct. before yeah. you could be, and that's, that's going too far the other way. Mm-hmm. So I would say I mean, the, the, the classic bar, at least the way we would say it historically for Baptist is a credible profession of faith. When they say, I believe in Jesus and I've turned from my sin, is it credible? Is there credibility to it? Enough credibility that you can say yes or no. If, so that's what you're looking for. And I would say that the, the credibility, the, the line of credibility should be fairly low yeah in terms of like a baby christian who's really a christian you don't need to wait you know two years before you could affirm his faith yeah or her faith you should be able to affirm someone's faith as a baby christian and and, and that's where i sympathize somewhat with the spontaneous baptism people though i think uh, at least in our american context that's certainly not something yeah. that um that helps clarify things I, I think it's it's far more dangerous than helpful but but yeah so so what i would say is brothers if you're pastoring you're looking for a credible profession of faith. Do they know? Do they know and trust Jesus as their savior, and as their treasure, such that they will treasure him over others? And has there been some discernible change in their life yeah. that they're willing to follow Jesus? Now, so that question can be an easy yes, but there's one more thing I have, at least practically as a pastor, that we do at mm-hmm. Bethany Baptist Church. We have a six-week membership class where we go over our confession of faith, our church covenant, why join a church, the history of the church, what is the mission of the church, the Great Commission of Discipling All Nations, and then how we live life together. And we talk about church discipline, church accountability, pursuing Christ, living for His glory. In these six classes, we make very clear our accountability and responsibility to God, to one another, and to the world. If someone goes through that and they understand the gospel enough and they're willing to be held accountable to that, I'm going to lean mm-hmm. towards taking them in and assume that their profession is credible. Yeah. Trusting that our church family and our life together will expose spurious faith and they'll end up either getting disciplined out or sometime they might even get converted. Obviously, that's not our goal, but maybe I thought they were converted. It was credible enough, at least as far as we could tell, humanly speaking. Right. But they're not converted. And since we're preaching Christ all the time to each other, they might even get saved in the church. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so that's the bar for us, for, for me. The way I pastor is if they understand the gospel well enough and do they understand that they've, had, they, that they've changed in some way and they understand the responsibilities of following Jesus in the fellowship of this church and they're willing, which to me is the tall order. Because that six-week class and then the membership interview where I'm really saying, hey, do you understand we'll excommunicate you for non-attendance yeah. if you cut off communication? Do you understand you're responsible to help us discipline these other people if they do these things? Yeah. And if they get all that, the church covenant, and they're still like, yeah, I'm down, okay. It's even helpful that even within that process, it, it's likely that at a minimum, someone is not becoming a member for at least two months, right? If it's yeah. six weeks, yep. you're thinking through every class, you're answering, you're asking questions, your questions are being answered. Yeah. You can't and rush then, it because they're yeah. not rushing it. They're forcing it to, we're yeah. forcing a six-week span. And then maybe it'll take a week or two to get a membership interview. Right. 
um, going through that, and then waiting for the actual vote. Members like, meeting. Yep. Yeah, so there, there's, there could be at, there's a at buffer. the minute. Yeah, there's a buffer of at least eight weeks when I think about that, which I think is is helpful because I think within that those eight weeks or so, and I'm assuming this person's attending Bethany regularly during that time. Yeah, there's a lot you can sort of see there. Where there, there's there's a certain level of confidence. Yeah, and members are getting to know those people. Yeah. So when I bring it, when I even bring them up to the members meeting, they're not in a vacuum. Like, hey, I never met Danny Hernandez before. Like, no, you've been attending yep. for eight weeks, and not only that, like sometimes they'll be like, hey, can we just do the classes online, or can we? And I say, because like, it's nine o'clock in the morning, it's kind of hard for us. And I just say to them, yeah, but if you're gonna follow Jesus in the fellowship of this church, there's gonna be a lot. More, I'm, I guarantee you, as soon as you join this church, there's a lot more burdens than waking up and coming one hour early in the, to the Sunday gathering for six yeah. weeks. So you really try to scare them off. <laughs> I do, or just just help them feel the weight. I mean, but that's the point yeah. of it. Like, yeah, yeah. if you feel the weight of all this, and you still want to join, then, that's yeah. that's credible enough to me. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, with that, I mean, that leads us into the last talk here: yeah. Lehman membership and discipline. I thought that when he was defining church membership and and did a solid job, you know quoting Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Acts 2. But really what he said, it's it's not really about defining church membership. Really what I'm doing is defining a church. And within defining a church, church membership becomes obvious. And really yeah. what we want to say here is you can call it whatever you want, but it just sounds like what the Bible points to is a collective and personal responsibility and recognition of who the church is and taking responsibility for each other's discipleship in that sense exactly why why is that important for for christians to think through well especially here in los angeles and in america it's because a lot of people think individualistically because you're saved individualistically like you have to personally repent and believe in jesus and you're converted with no one else around you no one else can get converted with you and you just kind of start to think that that's how the whole christian life is that's the beginning it's like being born you come through the birth canal and that's just you but then you're born into a family and all yeah. of a sudden, you got these responsibilities that are in your life. You have a network of relationships automatically with your parents, at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so people don't think about those things. If you're a Christian, you're following Jesus. If God is your father and Christ is your brother, then Christ's brothers and sisters, God's other children, the father's other children, are your siblings. Yeah, They're your family. And so there is a collective responsibility you have, a personal responsibility you have, and a collective responsibility for each other's discipleship. Yeah, and, and, th- and there has to be multiple parties involved there. So w- w- to clarify for some folks who may be listening and don't have these categories, it's it's not only you saying to this church, hey, I want to be part of you all, and I'm responsible for the discipleship of all you all. Right. It's also the church saying, hey, individual Christian, we're responsible for you. And also you as an individual person saying to the leaders of that church, hey, pastor, elders, you guys are responsible for my soul before the Lord. And the pastors and elders of that church recognizing that that person is indeed someone that they're responsible. Yeah. So what we're saying is when all those things are happening, that's what we mean by collective yeah. accountability it, here. It, it's a, and just as, yeah, if you talk about pastors, the other members, and the individual, well, the way you summarize it is there's a mutually understood mm-hmm. responsibility for each other. Yeah, It's a mutually understood responsibility for each other. And, yeah. and, and that's important because I think... Me, that mutual understanding is key because a lot of churches don't understand that and a lot of members yeah. of churches don't understand that so if you're a pastor listening one question you can just look through your membership directory and say does every does that member understand you can just go name by name does he re- does he understand that he's responsible for all the other members does she understand that's why we're making that clear in the membership interview and the membership class so that by the time they're there they all they all understand they all get it yeah i remember when my wife Alyssa, she was not a part of a church um, that had any sort of membership, uh, at least formally. And I remember me asking her, like, who is this church? And her not being able to define that. And I think for her, that opened her perspective of starting to think through what the church was, because for her, it's like, I don't know who the people are that I'm supposed to carry out these one another's. Yeah. It's not the universal She's attending church. an event. Yeah, like, I don't know who the church is, and I don't know if the church knows who I am. And I could see some of the leaders, but I don't know if they actually know me and where my soul is. And so I think that's the type of understanding we need to have, because if that's not happening, then it's going to be really hard to obey what God is commanding us to do in Scripture. Yeah. And so one of the ways we underline this every time, so we just had a members meeting this past Sunday. We took in four four new members. I think two were pending a transfer letter. One was pending baptism. And the other one's coming by statement. But every time, so like, I'll just use your name as if it was you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Peter, Pastor Peter, was leading the members meeting, he said, 
All those at the end of all the discussion, all those in favor of taking responsibility for Danny Hernandez's discipleship as he takes responsibility for your discipleship as a member of this church, say yes. Yes. Any opposed, say no. That's a mouthful to say all in favor of those who are willing to take responsibility for this man's discipleship as he takes responsibility for your discipleship. You hear that four times over and over, and then you're actually having to answer a question. Do you agree? Do you not? After you hear that? You're just reiterating again and again, we are mutually responsible for each other before God by the power of God. And we're accountable to God in the end for how we do it. When everyone understands that, the strength of that collective responsibility helps people grow and helps us shine the light of the gospel to our neighbors. So what if someone's listening to this and they're going to say, hey, it sounds like this church membership thing is too exclusive. It sounds like so many unnecessary things that you're just bringing into an equation that is going to make it hard for people to hear the gospel, to be a part of community. How, how would you respond to that? Oh, first I'd just sympathize and be like, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. Like, especially we're all creatures of, of, of habit. We're all, we all come from a certain place. I mean, if you first get married to somebody, your, your family culture is brought into the marriage and like, you're starting to realize things about yourself. So I would just say, yeah, I get it. Like if you were, I would ask the person, how long have you been a Christian? What was your church experience? Like, I would understand how that felt. Uh, the good news for them, I mean, sat, where I would somewhat disagree, but I'd say the good news is you could find a church like that. It's just not this church. Mm-hmm. But if you want to take responsibility for each other's discipleship and, and, um, and, yeah, if you want to do that, then this is what we're doing here. So what we're doing, if they're saying, yeah, you have all these trappings, you got a church covenant, and you got a membership directory, and you got a membership interview, you got membership classes, where's that in the Bible? Yeah. Right? And all I want to say is like, that's not, yeah, those are all trappings. Here's what you need to know from the Bible, and then figure out how to do this well in church. How do we clarify our mutually understood responsibility for each other's discipleship? Mm-hmm. And how do we know and communicate to everyone that, that these are the people who are mutually responsible for and the other people who visit our church and our guests that we would love, we are not mutually and collectively responsible for those guests. Mm-hmm. H- how do you clarify that? How do you clarify who the group of people is and what those responsibilities are? Do that. Whether you have classes or not, do that. Whether you have a church director or not, do that. Right, right? Whether you have yeah, a church vote or not, call it whatever, call it whatever you want. You want yeah. But clarify what those mutual respons- what is the, what 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 are the tenets of that mutual collective responsibility and individual responsibility clarify those responsibilities and then clarify who is in and in that responsibility who's invested in it and who's not in it but just checking out the church once you do those two things i don't care how you do it do that well yeah i'm telling you how we're doing it well at our church you don't have to do it like our church does it but you got to figure a way to do those things because that's what the bible's commanding so what if you can hear a pastor here just being like dude you don't get it you know in my context, I have five, six services with, you know, these amounts of thousands of people. What you're asking for me to do here is impossible. Like, it just doesn't fit. That that type of doing church just doesn't fit with how my context is. What would you to say to that person? And, you know, what if they were to ask you, like, do you, do you think I'm sinning? Do you think I'm being not faithful as a pastor? If I don't do it exactly that way, what's going on? Man, okay, so two things are first on the impossible, you know, Acts twenty six eighteen, I'm just going to turn there here in my Bible. Acts twenty six eighteen, Paul is recounting what the Lord Jesus told him to do as he's getting his commission. And we are called to do similar things. So Acts 26, Paul is giving his defense. And he says in verse 18, this is what Jesus says, I, will, I am sending you to them, to the Gentiles, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to open their eyes. That's impossible. Yeah. That's impossible. For for us to share the gospel, and you know, we talk about how God saves, not us. That's true theologically. But Paul also says, I I become a Jew to the Jew. I become a, Gen, uh, a Greek to the Greek. I become like one under law to those under law. Yeah. I become all things to all people so that I may save some yeah i may save some now paul's not jesus he's not ultimately saving he's not atoning for their sins he's not electing them and regenerating them by his own power but he is participating he's evangelizing and discipling and communicating the gospel. his responsibility as a and, and, and yeah. in one sense he's saying i'm saving them he even yeah. tells timothy um you know pay attention to your life and doctrine because that's how you will save yourself and your hearers yep, yep. that's impossible mm-hmm. i can't save myself i can't save my hearers so for someone saying you know this is impossible. I'm saying, hey, you know what? God tells you to do more impossible things, namely save yourself and save others. 
as as someone dependent on Christ. So being commanded to do impossible things is not new to the Christian. That is the very first way you became a Christian where you say, repent and believe in Jesus. That's impossible. You're yeah. dead in your sins. Yeah. Right? And yet we're commanding people from before they're even Christian to do things that are impossible for them to do on their own. So just take the church membership or the church meaningful membership responsibilities and obligations and just throw that into the pile of all the impossible things God tells you to do and just, just add that to the list on that part. Now, you want to say something about that? Or you want no, to go no, 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 okay. go for it. And then the second part is like, um, your second question was, do are we have we, to do it that way? Are we sinning? Are we sinning, yeah. And again, I'm saying you're not sinning if you don't have a church directory. You're not sinning if you don't have a written church covenant. You're not sinning if you don't have a membership interview yeah. or membership classes. You're not sinning if you're not doing that. You are sinning if you're not discipling people to observe everything Christ commanded. Yeah. So teach those who are not Christian to become Christian and obey what Christ commanded. Teach those who are saying they're a Christian to obey Christ in terms of their mutual responsibility to obey their leaders, Hebrews 13, 17, which means you need to you need to you need to communicate your submission to a, a set of leaders. Teach them to observe and obey loving other members, loving other Christians. Teach them to observe and obey confronting them one on one privately. And if they don't listen, Matthew eighteen sixteen, take one or two with you. If they don't listen, tell it to the church. If they don't listen to the church, let him be to you like an unbeliever or a tax collector. Treat him like an unbeliever. Excommunication. Teach your people to obey those verses. If you're not doing that, you're sinning. Yeah. And that's what I'm calling membership. You don't have to call it membership, but whatever that mutual responsibility is to obey the commands of Hebrews 13, 17, obeying your leaders, uh, holding each other accountable in Church discipline, discipline yeah. yeah, and obeying the Lord's Supper in that regard, recognizing the body, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 1 Corinthians 11 in the Lord's Supper, verses 23 to, I don't know, 34, something like that, somewhere in that section, about recognizing the body, not just the body of Christ, but the body of Christ, the church. Yeah, Teach people to obey that. Now, have a membership class if you want. I, we're doing it here. It's working well for us. You don't have to do the way the way we're doing it. But those commands in the Bible, you need to teach. And if you don't do that, you're sinning and you're not teaching them. And then they're sinning yeah. by not obeying commands. Those would be sins of omission. Now, let's go to the, the other group. Maybe folks who are doing church membership. You know, uh, Lehman talked about how it, it really is all-encompassing. It's it's bringing members in you know even through baptism overseeing members and providing oversight through the lord's supper and seeing members out oftentimes when we think about being in a church maybe with church membership people can minimize that to just well exercising the keys is just letting people in letting people out right voting i when i have to right uh, that seems like a really limited view of what it means to be a church membership thinking about the priesthood of believers and what that means in terms of living life and community together how do you get people to think of like, hey, you being a member at Bethany is not just showing up for members meetings, raising your hand, saying I or nay, and then seeing members in and seeing members out. Like, how do you how do you disciple the church to think bigger than just, hey, membership is just me voting people in and out? Yeah. So, oh, man, when you say how to disciple, you got to understand that discipling is a way of life. And it's cultivating a culture in the church. Yeah. So there's no like one quick fix. It's doing a lot of obedient, small and big things regularly so that it becomes a pattern and habit of a church's culture. So that, that's just kind of the, the general answer. Now to your specific points, yeah, m members meetings. Ex the, so exercising the keys is a technical term for binding and loosing. Mm -hmm. So that is what members meetings are specifically. Yeah, right. When you say, hey, this is our confession of faith or this is heresy or this person's a Christian or this person's excommunicated or this person is transferred from our church, that is the church exercising the keys. Individual Christians don't exercise the keys the in church. that way. It's yeah. the church. Mm -hmm. And so it is going to be in those those gatherings where the church is making decisions. Yeah. So that's very specifically what that is. But but if part of exercising the keys in a broader sense is just preaching the gospel and discipling, then that's going to affect all of life. Yeah. Okay. So so that's what we need to do. So the way I I think it's it's important for pastors. I'm Danny, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Just off, <laughs> just wing it here, right? All right. Um, and then I, then I'll I'll share my canned answer that I answer all the time. You're a pastor. Mm. Um, and pastor, actually, if you're a pastor right now, you could even pause it after I ask Danny the question. I would want you to answer it yourself and then hear Danny's answer. Okay, and then hear my answer after that. Just so you could, I want, I mean, if you're listening this long, thank you for listening this far into the podcast. Yeah, stretch your mind here. Okay, so Danny, mm -hmm. what are, so here's a member of your church or yep. even a, someone who's thinking about joining your church, Echo Church in Chino. And they're saying, what is my job description 
as a member of this church? What are my responsibilities as a member of Echo Church? What's your quick, I don't know, three to five or seven or two? Yeah. I would say number one would be gathering with the church. Okay. So Hebrews yep. 10, 24, 25. Good. Um, and making it a point, it's not just about gathering, but gathering intentionally, okay. considering how to serve Story other members other, of loving good Encouraging works. each other. Yep. yep. Uh, second, I would be um, the exercising of the keys. So showing up to members' meetings, because yeah. that is really where we, like you said, function as the church yep. to carry out the responsibilities right. of the church. And I think my third one would probably be giving, like giving for the furtherance of the gospel ministry here at Echo and yeah. for us to not only witness to our neighbors but to the nations. Good. So I feel like those would be the three things that I would very much emphasize. I think anything outside of that might be like a, hey, like as a pastor, I would love for you to be part of our small groups and be in accountability. But I think at the, at the but very... But not say the Lord on those. Yeah, the things. very basic would be, I think, those three for yeah, me. Yeah, that's great. That's a great list. And thanks for doing that on the spot. I, pastors, if you, if you didn't pause it, you should pause it now and just figure out your... So the way I would answer it is um, uh, members are to care for one another. So care for all the other members, mm. right? And then after that, um, that so that, yeah, that's C, care for what uh, other members... Secondly, influence them towards Jesus. So that's disciple each other. Yep. Disciple each other. Influence other people towards Jesus with your life, with what you love, how you spend your time. Influence other people towards Jesus inside the church and outside the church, but disciple. Next, I'd say gospelize. Don't just share your life with them, but share Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Tell them about the goodness of God in Christ for their sin and grace that is available to them so that God could draw near to them and they to him through the gospel. Gospelize Christians. Gospelize non-Christians. Next, I'd say attend regularly yeah so attend gatherings sunday morning sunday nights and if you can come on wednesdays but sunday mornings attend the gatherings regularly like you said that was your first one and the next one i'd say is recognize uh, other christians rather recognize true gospel confessions and cr true gospel confessors and that's where you're exercising the keys you do that together because we, we are c collectively recognizing or withdrawing our recognition of somebody's yeah. christianity in excommunication so recognize other Christians. And then lastly is support the church. So support giving. with giving, support by praying for the members, yeah. support the leaders. So that's C-I-G, care, influence, gospelize, attend, recognize, and support. Did you come up with a nice acronym for that? Cigars. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> nice. It has nothing to do with smoking, but I guess you could just, there it is. if you're going to be a good member, you just light it up. If you're, uh, if you're at Bethany, you're lighting it up. Get lit. That's what you're doing at Bethany over there. Cigars. <laughs> Yeah, nothing significant about that. It's just, it's a way for me to remember it. Yikes. Okay. If you want, if you want, so if you're listening, if you want to see Jonathan Lehman's list, he has a great list. You could look at Don't Fire Church Members or his smaller book, Understanding a Congregation's Authority. Or you could actually look at the Gospel Coalition. I think they actually just took the excerpt and said the job description of a church member. Uh, let's go back to uh, what you said. It really is the day in, day out of, of doing little things to help disciple a church. Let's say a pastor's just starting to help people think through this. Like, yeah. hey, being a church, doing this thing, church membership, is more than just going being to a meeting and raising your hand. Yeah, right. Like, how, what are some, if a pastor's like, dude, give me three things that I could do right now practically in my everyday interactions. And, you know, what are three things that I can work on right now to get there? Sure. The first one, I'd say, and the most important one is when you're preaching to preach with applications to the whole congregation. Mm. So if you're preaching on um, you know, stewardship and managing your money well for Christ's glory, and you say, hey, everyone handle your personal finances, then you could say, if you're a member of this church, we're also responsible as a church family to steward our budget well. Are we? Do you even know the church budget? Have you been praying through it? Do you give generously and look at and make sure that we're spending the money the way we should be spending it for God's glory? All of a sudden, you're hearing the sermon. You're not just thinking about your own personal finances. You're thinking about the church. If every member is doing that every week because you have a collective corporate application in your sermon, that's a slow, that's a small drip, but that's coming. And that, if that's coming straight from the exposition of God's word, now there's divine authority behind it. It's not just, hey, that's a cool idea. Like, no, this is how we collectively apply this verse yeah. as a church family. If, that, if I had to just give you one, that's the one. Every Sunday, apply the passage corporately. Yeah. Second thing you might do, now that the, my second answer, you tell me to do three, so now I'm trying to think of three. Uh, but that's the first and foremost. Second one might be something like, before you do the Lord's Supper, actually no, this would be, yeah, this would be really big too. When you do the Lord's Supper, don't only talk about Christ's death and resurrection. That's the main thing, but talk about the body of Christ. Yeah. So only let, so fence the table. 
only let people mm-hmm. who believe the gospel have been baptized and are members of a gospel preaching church take the Lord's Supper. If they are not members of a local church, to say, hey, this is a public act. This is not a personal, private devotion. Just like baptism. You don't get baptized by yourself in the bathtub. Yeah. It's public. Yeah. So is the Lord's Supper. So if you haven't publicly come out as a Christian in baptism and church membership, come out publicly first and then take this public thing. But for those of us who haven't, let's stand together and let's look around. All of these people, when they drink this cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood, these are the people that we know and recognize publicly as the body of Christ. Yeah. Let's look at, let's just, just look, I, I, sometimes we do this on Sunday. We'll pause, say, look around. You have the cup in your hand, look around. And just think about some of these people's story. Christ's blood covers all of these people. Yeah. And we're taking this as a family right now. Mm. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Let's drink together. And then you drink. So to have a collective element to your Lord's Supper. And I'd say take Lord's Supper every week. That's not the saith the Lord. I just <laughs> that's just me. All right. The third thing I might say is um, once a month we we recite our church covenant. Yeah. So we recite that um, we we have all the members of Bethany Baptist Church stand on the first Sunday of the month. And we recite our church covenant and renew our covenant and together. This is in the Sunday gathering, Sunday not, morning gathering. Wow! So not so outside of your members. Meeting. We do it every members meeting, and we do it every first Sunday of the month in the morning gathering. Okay. So what's that? Uh, twelve, six, eighteen times a year we'll do it. So twelve okay. member, twelve months, and then six members meetings. And why do that? What's the thing behind that? Well, saying it out loud together reinforces things. You could say, "Hey, read it at home." Those who read it at home, there'll be some effect. There will be some effect. Mm. But reading it all together, even if you don't want to read it, you're convicted, you're encouraged, you're looking at, around at other people reading it, you are changing the culture of the church just by saying true things, biblical responsibilities. Quick story here, short story. When we finally, I, I did a, you know, I was part of a church, a dying, declining church in November 2014 when I started at, at Bethany Baptist Church. And there was a lot of split, there was a lot of division, a lot of animosity and hostility towards me and the way that things were going in the church, even though we were moving really slow. Um, but we all voted on a church covenant. And so when we, the very first Sunday, we all stood up before the Lord's Supper and recited the covenant to one another. My thought in my head was, it's over. The division is over. The hostility is over. Now, it wasn't over right away, but I was like, that's it. Like, we have sealed it. Once people start looking at each other and saying, this is our responsibility to each other as a church family. Yeah. All the little chitter-chatter of like, PJ's not doing this, or the church shouldn't be doing this, or we always done it this way. Once we stand up and say, this is what we're doing, yeah. all of that just, it just took like, it lost like 10 degrees of weight. Yeah. And you do that every Sunday or every once a month. It's just like waves crashing on the shore of unity and um, commitment to our collective responsibility. That's good. Last question here, focusing on church discipline. Lehman talked about, you know, for something to get to the point of church discipline and, and, and excommunication being the last step of uh, seeing one, seeing someone outside of the church, out of membership, something has to be verifiable, uh, significant, impactful, um, uh, significant or impactful, uh, unrepentant. So there, there's a lack of repentance there. Yeah, that's a key one, obviously, yeah. unrepentance. And so... With that said, though, he, he also talks about there's going to be cases where someone's just a weak Christian struggling with an ongoing sin, and you're going to have someone who's rebellious, who just is not seemingly wanting to do what the Lord does. You know, as someone who's a newbie pastor over here, yeah. even now, that could be really hard to gauge. What yeah. is what is the line of... how do you How do you navigate that line of someone significantly being weak versus clear rebellion and, and, and the person i have in mind is not someone who's like dude i hate this i want to disobey the lord it's someone who's yeah. like oh man like looked at porn again where it's just ongoing repetitive repetitive like how how as a church leader do you kind of how are you able to discern that how do you walk with that person to, to figure out what to do in situations like that, where that line between what weak is and what rebellious is can be very difficult. Yeah, so for those of you who are listening and you're thinking, man, everything is so neat and compartmentalized and there's just no problems, this is this this is a helpful category because yeah. th- this just shows that life is messy. Yep, yep. And, the, and church and pastoring is messy. And sharing life in a church family is messy even when you're clear on the mutual responsibility because we're still sinners. Yep. So all that to say, yeah, this is a messy category where people can fly under the radar, so to speak, or um, they can, um, yeah, so, so the, the rebellious 
unrepentant person and the weak person who's like kind of staggering along and repenting but very weakly and very irregularly but truly mm-hmm. they can look the same yeah yeah and so my my thing at that point is what would i advise pastors just keep gospelizing keep caring keep calling them to repentance and then first and then and then just let time tell but sometimes time will never tell and that could happen so you might have to buckle up for the next 30 years mm-hmm. or like for example in pornography if there's just zero progress and then you could start to kind of put in a few other uh, maybe a more daily accountability and a group of people holding accountable and when there's that daily accountability and they're still refusing to repent of something like pornography or make any progress you might be able to get a point of establishing unrepentance and if you can and you could verify it then you can move to um to to church discipline so i would say that i would say first of all it looks the same between a weak truly repenting christian and an unrepentant but um struggling christian right and so in that i'm just saying the the one so number one realize it's messy number two you might have to actually just pay more attention to the details and walk more day-to-day with someone to get more clarity and try to help them out of it or see that they're not really repenting yeah that's helpful now pj to close this off we want to be able to practice a little bit of what we discussed here today we went over a grip of theology doctrine and <laughs> concepts here I, um i almost think this might be three podcasts you might just break this up i don't know we'll see we'll see it's long out of all this and learning all this, what are what are some things that you're thankful for the Lord for as we've talked about all this, whether it's your church or just even pastoring? Well, I'll do one in each category in case you break this up into three and you can put one in each piece. <laughs> I'm thankful in terms of gospel and doctrine. I'm thankful that members know God's word. One, one of the members or one of the in the guest lounge recently, they asked, how do you make sure that people don't teach heresy in your small groups? I'm like, I don't. Yeah. We, we hold a gospel doctrine, so here's why I'm thankful. We have a strong confession of faith. We have strong expository preaching, and people are reading the Bible with each other. We have strong leaders. We've got a lot of mature members and a lot of newer Christians that I think there's enough healthy members who hold to gospel doctrine that I don't worry. And that's not to say false teaching is not going to come up. It just means I, I feel free to let members say, hey, read the Bible together. And if, if false doctrine comes up, I trust that it's going to come across the radar of one of the pastors. So that's what I'm thankful for, is that we have a strong gospel doctrine culture in our church, and I don't worry about members getting together to read the Bible. They don't ask for permission from me. They don't need to. Just read the Bible together. As far as conversion evangelism, oh man, I'm thankful that God is gracious, because I think, I mean, our church is evangelizing. If I ask on a Sunday night, uh, has anyone shared the gospel, we'll always get at least, at least one hand, maybe two or three hands, maybe sometimes more. Yeah. So I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful for God's grace because we could be doing better. And we're probably sinning in a lot of ways in our lack of evangelism. Mm-hmm. So I'm thankful for God's grace and that we're still we're, – we're failing in the right direction. We're leaning in that direction, asking God for, for forgiveness and strength. And then on the last one, I'm just thankful that there's Echo Church, there's Bethany Baptist Church, and there's a handful of other churches, our Shepherd LA churches. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of churches that practice meaningful membership, and I think it's increasing it's certainly increasing from the early 2000s when I first started pastoring. Yeah. So I'm thankful that that pastors are taking membership seriously and churches are. Even though it's still a, a, a large minority in Los Angeles, it's growing. And I, I thank God for that. Yeah, for me, with and I'll do, I'll do the same. I think with uh, gospel doctrine, yeah, I'm just thankful to be part of God's redemptive plan. Yeah. Meaning that one day all of the universe reality will be what it's supposed to be. Right, and that's just something that that gives me hope in light of just things in life, and even the difficulties of of ministry. Just understanding we're part of God's redemptive plan, and um, that's just a sweet thing to think about. That our our lives are just so finite compared to just the infinite reality of what God is doing Amen. in all of creation. Amen. Um, with with Dever, uh, I think I and evangelism. Yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you as as a pastor feeling like as a church or even as a pastor, there's more I can do to help our church get better. You know, you always want to see those, those new converts come to the church of people yeah. who just believe, but um, just feeling at ease that God's in control. Amen. That is really God's sovereignty and, and the work of the Holy spirit. That's going to bring people. So yeah. um, I can relax a little bit um, and trust that God is at work in his people. Um, and lastly with membership and just what you said about the Lord's supper. I think that's a, that's a beautiful picture of just, um, I think for me, even thinking about the different churches that I've been a part of, it's they have just shaped me in different ways. And um, really, ultimately, it's not about just 
one church, no, no church is going to stand forever, but it's this right. idea of um, being part of churches and being discipled and being cared for over time and how the ripple effects of that, um, even being together at a church with you, across you, like whatever went through that, like I'm still seeing the ripple effects of that a yeah. decade later right. in my own discipleship and my own ministry. Um, I think just speaks volumes and just knowing like, hey, whatever I'm doing now, what effects is that going to have? Ten more years right. down the line. and um, So it's just a really sweet thing to think about that. Um, God is just really gracious to provide his church. Um, and I think even in the midst of being a pastor, I think you get really messy and, and burdensome. But just knowing that the Lord is doing something there, yeah. right? even if we can't see it. Yeah, that that ten-year perspective is just really I – mean, I'm, I'm encouraged right now as you're saying that just to think, yeah, even though we don't see fruit right now from what we're doing – 10 years from now, we'll look back and you'll see something. God always gives us enough encouragement. Praise yeah. God for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. We will talk to you next time. We'll put up more um, episodes uh, from the Shepherd LA uh, conference. And the then we'll marks. be... Shepherd LA conference. Yeah, nine marks. Got to throw that in there. <laughs> Official. It's true. And then uh, we will be back with another recap episode. Talk to you next time.